Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. Thanks for listening. This is part two of my two-part interview with actor, singer, Broadway performer, Chip Zion. And if you missed part one, he talks a lot about being in Into the Woods and working with Stephen Sondheim. If you missed that, after you listen to this episode, go back and check that one out. Chip has been involved in 13 Broadway shows, including long-running hits like Into the Woods and Grand Hotel and Les Miserables. He has also been involved in over 65 television shows, and uh, among them, he was one of the stars of our show, the one with Nancy Travis called Almost Perfect. That was on CBS in 1995 and 1996. In this episode, we talk a little bit about Les Mis, more about his Broadway career, his movie career, in which he was in United 93, and he's like the first guy killed, and he's for the entire movie, just lying in the corridor. That that was a fun job, I'm sure. And working with Mike Nichols. If you ever wondered what it was like to work with Mike Nichols, this is the episode for you. He's also a great storyteller. It's really fun to hear him tell these stories. So here we go, part two with Chip Zion, this week on Hollywood and Levine. So you've been in long-running shows, but yeah. you've also gone into existing shows, yeah. like like you were in Les Mis. Right. What's it like when you're part of a long-running show and you're inserted into it? How much <laughs> rehearsal do you get? You know, um, it's like I'm sure the cast doesn't want to... S- rehearse for four days so that that you can uh, be up to speed exactly nobody once you've been in a show for a long time and you have to come back to do these what they call put in rehearsals it's a huge pain for the regular cast members who as i was saying before are already exhausted because they have to deal with the whole week right um but uh les mis was a really uh, you know here's the i loved being in les mis i just loved it i I had made fun of Les Mis, to be to be honest, I, because I, I thought it was like, you know, that I was doing the fancy schmancy like uh, Sondheim musicals, and Les Mis is one of these English imports that's you know it's not it's not what Broadway's supposed to be. And also, why are these people always marching? Always occurred to me, like, what are they marching? They're marching. To, they're standing on the thing with the thing, and you know they're just marching. And I, 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 I made fun of that. But I got hired to replace in Les Mis, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and um, I, Les Mis is like a. It was like a corporation. It's like it's like getting involved in some corporate thing. 
you know, when you, you get a costume, oh yeah, okay, Chip, here's your costume. And you, you look in the inside panel of the, you know, your jacket that you're wearing as, as uh, the master of the house, which is the part I was playing. And you look and you see labels for different people that have worn that same costume, you know, and in mine, maybe there were like, by this point, they're like 10 labels. You're thinking, right. This is crazy, but they can, they can find parts of people's costumes that fit you. And that's what you're wearing. And um, in my case, I rehearsed probably two weeks, which is actually a luxury. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I got thrown on stage and I realized in order to, get the feel of the turntable. This is had this massive turntable that, and, and that's why they're marching because the only way that you can remain facing the audience is to keep your legs moving so that you stay in the same place as the turntable is turning. You uh-huh. have to keep stepping slightly sideways to stay on the right place. I had never rehearsed really with the turntable at full speed in full costume with all of the lights working and so the first the first night, I'm on stage and I'm standing on the turntable and it starts to turn and I start my march. I start marching. And the next thing I know, I'm looking at utter blackness. I have no idea where I am. And what I had done is I hadn't marched properly and I was now facing the wings. I was looking, I was supposed to be facing straight center stage, straight out. And I'm facing the wings. And one of the actors grabbed me. One of the, I, I walked off, I hit the flat that was on this, you know, that one of the actors grabbed me and pulled me back on stage. I walked into the flat. That's the point of the story. And, you know, uh, but it's weird to come into a show that's that, that well-known by the people who play. They've all been in it for years. They all know everything. And it was weird. I mean, you know, one of the terrible mistakes I made in just being thrown in there was that, uh, I called, uh, um, Valjean, uh, famously, I, I, there's a scene where the, the master of the house throws, uh, is walking through the sewers, robbing bodies of jewelry and stuff. And I rolled over Valjean, Valjean and I screamed out, Javert! And uh, it was Valjean. And, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and all of the cast members... Everybody started laughing. I could hear the crew laughing. And when I walked off stage, the stage manager was laughing so hard. He was sitting on the floor and he had taken off. They all wore headphones and he had taken off his headphone and thrown it down on the floor. They were just crying. It, it was a, just a, just a terrible mistake. And I had no recovery. I think my recovery was like, I mean, and then I think I just left. I just walked off. It was just awful. But I, the Les Mis, I love being in Les Mis, and I, I would have stayed a long time, uh, but uh, I couldn't. I had, I had another, another job. So uh, let's turn to your, your film and TV work okay. here. Now, yeah. you were in a movie called United 93. Oh, yes, I was. <laughs> yes. And um, it, it, interesting uh, choreography. Uh, for that movie. Talk about your role in that movie. Well, United 93 is, it was about nine 11. It's mm-hmm. about the plane that crashed. United 93 was headed for the Pentagon, headed for the Pentagon and crashed in, in the countryside in Pennsylvania. And, um, well, let's see, I, I, the audition for that film 
was they would take a group of people in at a time and they would ask you to improvise what would happen if you were all sitting together on a plane and the plane got hijacked and your lives were in danger. And I turned to uh, an actress that I'm very fond of, Kate Jennings Grant, who happened to be in my little group of maybe six people. And I said, I am not doing this. Okay, I'm not going to do this. Is the idea here that people are supposed to eat popcorn while they're watching this horrifying story about 9-11 and we know what happened. And I said, this, this just doesn't really feel like something that should get made, okay? You shouldn't be eating popcorn watching United 93 crash into the fields of Pennsylvania. And um, the director was there, and he said, so I'm going to, I'll just say go, and uh, you guys just start an improv. You don't know each other. Whatever comes in your mind, that's, that's the audition. So he yells, go. And I jump up and start screaming because I'm an idiot actor. I completely, <laughs> I think like, I'm at, how I have got to act. I'm acting. Okay. And what, no, it doesn't matter what I just previously said to Kate Grant. It means <laughs> I've got to get this job. I got to get this job. And I start screaming like, you know, the, you know, just, well, just, we can talk about this or something really lame. Let's talk about this. You know, and I'm screaming and carrying on. And um, I get the job and so did Kate. It, it's a story that we just laugh about all the time because I, I completely did exactly the, she just sat there. She got the job. <laughs> I I was, I don't know what I was doing. Show, trying to show off or I don't know what I, but it was horrible, but I got the job. And it turned out to be actually an incredible experience because it was directed by Paul Greengrass, mm-hmm. a Brit. We, we flew to, we we shot the film in in um, outside of uh, well well we actually shot the film in Slough which is where the original The Office uh, is set you know that the TV right. series, mm-hmm. the English version right the Ricky the Gervais Office. version yeah exactly yeah. so so um, and we shot for weeks uh, sitting on a plane and we were in a plane but the plane was on a uh, it, it, it it was on a device that shook it around and moved it and it was. Outside of the windows were, uh, you know, sky. You could see, you know, what's it, a psych, behind, you know, on mm-hmm. either side. And um, so you really felt like you were on, on a plane. And it, they could they, they recreated the flight pattern of the plane uh, based on, um, uh, you know, the data they had from flight recorders. So uh, it was a hell of an experience. But I played, a, I played the first person to be to actually to be killed or what they think was the first person to be killed. And, um, I had, uh, I was, I got knifed on the side of my neck, stabbed. And I basically bled out in the aisle of the airplane. Um, but so you were in the aisle of the airplane, the whole movie, right? Yes. I was, as people were walking over me and, uh, stepping (laughs) over me saying, Chip, Chip, are you okay? Are you okay? And I also had to pump my own blood. That I that I, I think I did. I had a, I had a like a squeeze ball on my on one hand that I had to sort of hide behind my body uh-huh. so that the blood would continue to flow. I was basically pumping blood with ketchup, <laughs> basically pumping ketchup out of a tube that was on my neck. Yeah, and then I don't know. At some point, somebody the, the idea it got it. You know, it got we got sort of. Uh, because we were all in the trenches together, it got a little goofy, but, but at some point somebody was screaming, um, 
I thought they were screaming, take the Jews, take the one of the other improv passengers was screaming, uh, take the Jews, take the Jews. And I, I whispered to Kate Grant, who was attending to me as the one of the few nurses on the plane. I said, is she saying, take the Jews, take the Jews? And she said, no, they're saying, take the jewels. Take, we have jewels in the luggage compartment. Take the jewels. I said, and that, you know, then we're laughing and the camera, they rolled the camera for 20 minutes at a time. The camera went up and down the aisle of the airplane. So you had to uh-huh. kind of stay in character, but we had to, we had to unfortunately roll over because we now were laughing about take the Jews when they, mm-hmm. no, we didn't know if anybody actually said that, but <laughs> it was actually, the, the, the actress was saying, take the jewels. Well, being in New York, of course, you had to be on law and order because every New York actor is on law and order. And yes. I, I see that you played lawyers, judges, and a homeless guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, did, did you know Joe Stern, the, the producer of that show? No. Because he was so he ended up in L.A. for quite a while, too. Um, uh, yeah, I, law and, everybody, everybody in New York is on uh, Law & Order at some point, uh, you know, if you're in the biz. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I got lost one one day in, in the sort of the law, you know, the vernacular of lawyers, lawyer speak. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And he's a really good friend of mine, the producer of that show, Joe, Joe Stern, from years ago, basically came up to me and said, "You're killing me." I said, "Joe, I don't know what's happened." <laughs> I said, "I can't. I, I somehow I, I I can't even I can't remember what though. I kept stumbling over some some word that you that all lawyers use. You know, it was easy, but I, I you know, but that that was I like you know I, I wish I'd been on it more. I wish I'd been on it as a regular. Well, they don't have enough Law and Order spinoffs. No, no. Maybe no. if they have a spinoff. Yeah, maybe if that, they think that, of some other show that could. Yeah, Law and Order from... Broadway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you've yeah. been in a lot of hits, and you've yeah. also been in a few that weren't as successful. Yes, you were the voice of Howard the Duck, <laughs> <laughs> one of the, <laughs> the most notoriously <laughs> bad films. <laughs> in the history of show business, it was George Lucas. Yes, I, I, uh, I, I well, yeah, I auditioned. I, I was doing Mer- That's when I was doing Merrily We Roll Along in La Jolla, and the casting director from Universal came backstage, and she said to me, um, "Really didn't care for Merrily We Roll Along, but I, you know, um, you sound like a duck." And uh, <laughs> she said, "She said you said we're casting a show called Howard the Duck, and you sound like you could be a duck." would you be willing to come in an audition? And I was, of course, livid that she was saying that my voice sounded somehow to her like a duck. Right. So I, um, but I, then I called my agent. I said, well, there's some movie, Howard the Duck. He said, you're kidding me. The casting director of Howard the Duck came back. And uh, so I started auditioning for Howard the Duck. And, you know, you know what happened eventually was that um, I auditioned maybe six times. At some point, I had gone back to New York. I had to fly to Lucas, what I call Lucas Land, out in San Francisco. Uh-huh. And, and, um, Industrial light and magic. Yes. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I don't get the job. So they hire Robin Williams. But the trick within, with Howard the Duck was that you had to match the, you had, the looping to put the voice in, had to actually match the, the duck bill, the rhythm of the duck bill. And they'd had this English guy who did that on the set. But for some reason, they they didn't they didn't they wanted to change that. So anyway, Robin Williams is doing it for three days. This is what I heard or what I knew. 
And after about the third day, he said, I can't, this is ridiculous. He said, first of all, that rhythm of the duck, yeah, I can't match that. He said, there's no point. It's bad. They're bad line readings. So he, he dropped out and I got a call on like, um, you know, right, right on, was it Labor Day or Memorial? It was, what's, what's the first one? Memorial Day? The first yeah, holiday. Memorial Day's in May. I got a call on Memorial Day saying, Chip, you got to get on a plane right now. Your wife can send you clothes later. You got a reservation. You got to get on a plane. You are Howard the Duck. And um, that's why I got out to L.A. And I think like, yeah, that, you know, this, this can't, you know. So I've been I had seen little snippets of the film and I said, you know, this can't work. It looks like a, a little guy in a duck bag. You know, it looks like a <laughs> small person in a, and basically a duck bag. Uh-huh. And uh, it's we've already had E.T. or You know, this is like. Uh, no. And then I, they, I so the, we, you loop a film in 12 minute reels. And um, so I finally saw an entire 12 minute reel and I start looping it. And I suddenly think this is the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> and I am Howard the duck. And the money of course was just astronomic. I mean, it was just unimaginable. And um, so I spent maybe, I don't know what it was almost two months looping the film. And I'm loving, I'm loving my new, you know, the fact that. And you, you figure, know, boy, this is going to be a franchise. Yeah, no, I was. You know, there's going to be series. Howard the Duck was supposed to be the vo- the voice. Of, he was going to be one of the hosts on Entertainment Tonight. And I was going to, so I was going to be a host on Entertainment Tonight. I was going to be an AT&T spokesman. And uh, plus all of the other, you know, the the little games and toys that they put out. Sure. I had a percentage of that. And so it was like, and there were supposed to be three Howard the Duck movies. Uh, three, there were supposed to be two sequels after the first one. And I'm thinking like, man. You're set. I, I am. I'm, I'm set. I can buy anything. I can get country houses. I, you know, it's the same thing I said before. I said to my wife, let's not just buy one car, let's buy two cars, you know, and, and, and um, so we finished looping the film and they put me in this big stretch limousine to fly back to New York and I rolled down the window and, and, uh, and, and Willard Hike, Gloria Katz, I love them both. They, they wrote and directed the film. Right. They also wrote American Graffiti. Exactly. And they were, right. they're lovely people. Yeah. They were just, I love them. Mm-hmm. And they were, and they rolled, I rolled the window down and, they said, Chip, you are Howard the Duck. And I rolled the window back up and I thought, like, I'm like, I just I won the lottery. You know, this just this is just phenomenal. Then I don't hear anything for several months. And then uh, I don't get invited to any like opening thing anywhere. Usually you would have like a big opening night party somewhere. No, mm-hmm. no invitation. I'm checking with my agent like, um what's happening? He said, yeah, I think they're not, they're not having that opening night event. And, uh, and uh, so it's opening at a theater next to me on 83rd street and Broadway where I, I live right around there. And I go to the first, I've never seen it. I go to the first screening or the first showing of the opening of Howard the duck at the movie theater that was nearest to me. And there were like eight people there. <laughs> and 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 they were basically what they were was like eight mothers with little baby children like toddlers and like because they thought it well this is going to be a cute film like a disney film about a duck it's a terrifying 
movie for, you know, you have to be a certain age to be able to deal with this film. And, um, and I was running up and down the aisle saying like, you know, this, uh, no, no, this is not like a, there's some really scary stuff in this film and you shouldn't be here. And they were, they thought I was like a, you know, some uh, strange guy lurking in the, in the movie theater. And then it opened and it, the reviews just couldn't have been worse. They said, they said that, uh, how, Howard, that, that, um, no, years later, what was the film, um, that, that, uh, the Dustin Hoffman and uh, Ishtar, Ishtar, Ishtar. Later, when Ishtar opened, they said Ishtar is Arabic for Howard the Duck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Howard, it was a, just the, the biggest bomb at the time. Howard the Duck was the biggest movie flop ever. And, uh, you know, I was friendly with a, with a, with a comedy writer who was out in LA trying to sell scripts and, uh, old friend of mine. And he said that Frank Price was the head of universal, I think in that era. Right. And Frank Price, outside of the window of his office on the whatever floor he was on of that big gray building there at the universe, looks out and he looks at the billboard. It's a huge billboard of Howard the Duck. And my friend called me after that meeting and he said, you know, I saw the head of Universal shudder with terror as he looked out his window at that poster. <laughs> and he turned to me and he said, they're going to fire me. They're going to fire me. And that is what happened. Wow. Yeah, so Howard the Duck, yeah. And on Broadway, yeah. you worked with Mike Nichols, but in uh, A Country Girl. You know, yeah. if you read the Mark Harris biography <laughs> of Mike Nichols, he talks about how that's one that uh, didn't fare very well. Um, you know, I, I had a very bad experience with Mike Nichols. Uh, very complicated experience. Um, the country girl starred uh, Francis McDormand and Morgan Freeman, Peter Gallagher. And, uh, you know, I met Mike Nichols actually in a men's room. <laughs> Originally. <laughs> uh, we were standing at um, the urinals in a men's room. And he happened to be next to me. And I thought, like, you know what? This may be the only chance that I ever get to talk to Mike Nichols. And I was rehearsing a show. We were in a big rehearsal um, build, uh, studio and he was rehearsing a different show at the time. And I said to him, I'm really struggling with my show, uh, which, by the way, at the time was called The Suicide. <laughs> it's a Broadway show, but starring Derek Jacobi, which was very cool. And I said, you know, I just don't know what I'm doing. He said, so I said, do you have any advice for me? And Mike Nichols standing next to me said, it's very simple. You talk fast, you talk slow. You talk loud, you talk soft, mix them all up, and you'll have a hell of a performance. That was Mike Nichols' <laughs> advice to me. And I loved, I thought, like, I love this guy. That, that right. is fun. And that is brilliant. Uh, be, you know, uh, jump ahead. I get, uh, I audition for him for um, The Country Girl, and it's a great audition. Uh, he, he pulls his chair up. I'm sitting there in the rehearsal. I'm nervous, but he was so nice and he pulls his chair up to within about three feet of where I'm sitting. And, and it's becomes very intimate and personable. And, and, uh, and I read for the part and he goes like, yeah, well, you've been there. You've been, you've lived this, you've lived this. It's great. Yeah. I'm a big fan of yours. Love into the woods. You know, he was just, it just couldn't have gone better. And I thought like, my God, I might actually, I'm maybe I'm going to get this. And I, and I got it. You know, if I'm the next day I get a call, Chip, you got it. it's amazing. So I'm 
thrilled. And uh, we start rehearsals and he hates every single thing I'm doing. He's yelling at me. He hates it. Like, what are you doing? You know, why, why do you like starting a scene? I don't want to see anybody start a scene. Like, you know, it should just kind of happen. Let it just happen. You're like, what are you doing? Why are you yelling? I said, well, it said in the script, I was supposed to yell and yelling because the other character asks, why are you yelling? So if I'm not yelling, <laughs> if I'm not yelling, uh, well, how does the other characters, I'm trying to help out my fellow actor here, you know, and, and, um, you know, it just, it just was just, we, we, we sat at the table for weeks. I mean, like it seemed forever. And he also told Morgan Freeman, Francis McDormand, not to learn their lines. He was one of these uh, directors who doesn't want you to know anything uh, so that you don't come in with preconceived ideas problem with that is if the play has a lot of words in it nobody's ever going to know them you know and when and that's what happened some of the, I, I don't want to mention names but some two very famous actors in the show um, who hadn't often been on broadway did not know their lines then when we started previewing there was a prompter in the front row but one of one in one uh, what can I talk about publicly? In one, in one, in one, in one. I mean, they mention in the book that yeah. he could be a giant asshole at times. Yeah. Well, and, I'm reading the book, and and I mean, he admitted it himself. He he. Yeah. He said read, in places you know, he, where I regret the way I handled this or that. Yeah. Well, what happened was is that uh, at some point we get to a big tech dress rehearsal, and. Uh, you know, I was literally, I was just, it, it just wasn't going well for you. Just, I thought like I was probably going to get fired. And uh, at some point we have a run through and one of the leads, um, I won't mention her, uh, her name, Frances McDormand, um, <laughs> said to me, she said, you know, Mike wants me to laugh after I say this line, but I don't want to feel obligated to laugh. So if you could do me a huge favor, I had the next line, just please just come in with your line and don't wait for me to laugh. So we were running through the show in front of all of the designers and every, you know, the the, the set designer, the the costume design, right. lighting and all that, lighting. Everybody's there. It's, the room is packed with people. And uh, Francis McDormand, uh, no, no, I don't want to mention the name. It says a line, and it's a, the line where the laugh, where there's supposed to be a laugh, that she's supposed to laugh at herself. I jump on the line and I don't allow her to laugh at herself because she asked me to do her a favor. And the next thing I know in front of all these people and Mike Nichols was there with his daughter, <laughs> like <laughs> just starts screaming and saying like, what the hell are we supposed to do? Are you supposed to go back now and start at the beginning of the entire show chip? Do you even listen to the other actors on the stage? Did you hear one word that she was saying? Do you listen? You just, just. Wow. Just, and, I mean, it's stomping around, standing and pacing, and then he left the room, and then he came back. He said, I don't even know what to do. Maybe we have to cancel this run-through, and all the, everybody's <laughs> sitting there. And, like, you know, I think I took at, uh, at least, uh, you know, the three Xanax at that point, and, like, you know, I don't know what to do. And I'm looking at Francis. I'm looking at, I'm not going to mention her name. You know, could you, like, speak up here? <laughs> I'm, trying to help. I'm trying to help you, you know, and... um and we started again, and then then I I I went I left. We left that day, and I called that night. I called the stage manager, and I said, "Am I still in this show? Have you heard anything?" <laughs> and he said, "Chip, 
I haven't heard anything. And he said, I feel exactly like you feel. He said, I don't know if I'm still in this show. And I said, well, call me if, if you get notified that I'm no longer supposed to show up tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Right. The next thing my phone rang and it was Mike Nichols. The problem was, is that he was in his car and the phone kept cutting out. And I didn't know if I was being fired or if he was saying something. I, I couldn't hear his message. So I called the stage manager back. And I said, I just got a phone call from Mike, but I, it's, I can't, it's, it's the broke up. I can't, I can't hear it. He said, well, I think you should show up tomorrow, but you know, I mean, if I find out anything later, I'll call you. And I walked in the next day and Mike came up to me and he said, you know, I shouldn't have done that. He said, for some reason, I think of you like I think of Shelly Berman. <laughs> and I said, what, what about me reminds you of Shelly Berman? He said, yeah, I don't know. He said, I think I'm wrong. I think I was wrong and I shouldn't have done it. And from that point on, he could not have been nicer. He was absolutely charming and witty and fun to be with. We went out for dinner, but it was, it, it was, uh, it was a very, you know, and, and he never gave me after that, every night when we'd have notes about the show, he would say, Chip, amazing stuff, beautiful. And he would move on, you know, like, a, you know, and so it was this very strange experience. And, but I saw him be, and then, then he, he was, was, rather uh, uh, nasty to some of the other actors in the show. And I'm not, it just was, I can't even go there, but it was, you know, he, he was strange. He was strange, but it's strange because it's like, he's so obviously smarter than anybody and funnier than anybody, but capable. He was capable of being very mean. So that, that's my take. Yeah, no, I know and, people, and he yeah. acknowledges that that's, yeah. we're not speaking out of yeah. school here. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm based, by the way, I'm reading the book and, um, uh, I'm not up to, uh, you know, that much. you didn't go to that first. I didn't go to it first. Uh. I, I've actually had, I had a, you know, the famous actor, Richard kind, mm-hmm. we all know Richard kind. Sure. Richard, Love the guy. Richard came up to me the other day and Dwayne, we're, we're pals. And he came up to me and Dwayne Reed the other day and he's, he said, you got nothing to worry about. He said in the, in the Mike Nichols book, he never mentions you. And I thought like, <laughs> I thought, wait a minute, is that good or bad? I mean, like, I would, it would have been nice to be mentioned in this book, but I hope he would have been, you know. He said, no, nothing to worry about, nothing to worry about. You're not in it at all. But he, he does talk about the show that you were in. So, Okay, before we go, I want to yeah. jump back to auditions and, yeah. and what that's like. Because, you know, like I said to you off the air, mm-hmm. you know, you're a braver man than me, Gunga Din, to put yourself through that and all of the rejection. And what's it like to audition for a part? This was what would drive me out of my mind. To audition yeah. for a part, you don't get it, and then you see who they did hire for the commercial or whatever, and you're yeah. going, really? Really? <laughs> I lost out to that guy. No, it happens all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, auditioning, there, there are times, uh, you know, I, I think I've always been better when, for whatever reason, I didn't have to audition. Uh, because it's, you, 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 I, I, 
there are people who, you know, basically one of the things that you're taught is that you're supposed to audition for yourself, that you want to see how you feel playing this role. And that's the best you can do. The gift that you're giving the casting people is your, is the choices that you're making. And if they don't buy it, then uh, that's the way it is. But you're, 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 one of the things that teachers always say is that you're, you have to think of how you feel and that you're being generous in offering yourself up for, for this job. And it's, it's in a way, it's a gift. That's hard for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's I, I, I have felt okay at times and at other times, like, like, um, for some of the Broadway auditions, I've actually, uh, I have a sense that, um, you know, I feel I can predict what's going to happen or that I, you know, or that I'll be in the mix or at least in the running. And, uh, and it's fun. Sometimes I see, you know, you're auditioning for people that you know quite well and uh, that's either awkward or, you know, whatever, like, um, but, you know, I have found that whatever my mood is on any given day can dictate how, what, what that audition experience is like. You know, one time I auditioned for a TV show um, for a pilot out, out in L.A. I can't, I can't remember which one it was, but I, I, uh, I was playing a guy who was having a, a, a panic attack. The audition, the, the audition was a scene where the actor's having a panic attack. Well, that must have been easy. No. So what happened is I, I, I decided this is going to be easy, right? And I started to have a panic attack, which I, which I should be pretty good at. Right. Or which I just assume I'm going to be excellent at that panic attack. <laughs> and, and I went in and I did it. And I thought I was really good. I, I walked out. I thought like, yeah, this, this is for a TV show. I said this, yeah, I've got a shot at this because I think that really went well. And then I went, I can't, uh, I waited the next person to go in the room was somebody that I knew and I wanted to chat with him a little more. So I waited for him to finish. And um, when he auditioned, he said, were those, did they have a tape? line put down there on the floor for for your audition i said no i don't know what you mean he said because they were saying that like they had to put some tape down to indicate where the actors should how how far away from the producers and the you know the people you're auditioning for that they wanted the actors to stay a little further back uh from the producers and the writers because the actor who'd been in her before got too close to them well that was me <laughs> I had. <laughs> they taped the floor after I left to indicate to the actors, please do not cross this line and get too close to us. We don't need you that close. And it, that was because of my audition. After all, you know, all these years of auditioning, I was using them as people in the scene and they hated it. You know, so, so, um, you know, I, the experiences are weird. The, when I went on camera for Almost Perfect, that cat, I love the New York casting. Bonnie Finnegan cast that in New York, this casting director that I just love. And, uh, you know, she it was, I just loved doing that for her. Um, I always felt I was good at CBS and that I was terrible at ABC. I have no idea why. I thought CBS, uh, the CBS rooms were funny. I could be funny, but the ABC rooms were not funny, you know. And finally, at one point at ABC, I said to myself, when well, they were giving me a ton of notes about an on camera, audition i said you know what let me lose this part by myself okay let me lose this all by myself there's other actors are going to come in here and do what you're saying but like i don't know i'm I'm not clear on what you're saying let me let me just do my thing and if you hate it i won't get the job 
you know, uh, but the way I always put it is let me lose it by myself. And, uh, and that was very insulting to the casting people, by the way, because they want to feel, <laughs> which wasn't good. I don't think I ever got back. They want to feel that they cost you the job. Yeah. They, well, they want to feel that they either got you the job, but that they're helping you. They want to feel, you don't want to offend the casting people because they want to feel like they're involved in your audition, right. which is their job. Right. But I, yeah, I never got back in that room at ABC, as I recall. Um, so, you know, I, I learned, I don't, I don't memorize my lines for auditions. Although now the style is a lot. Most people are memorizing their lines. I mean, see, and I hate when the actors memorize the lines. Yeah. I mean, there's really not enough time. So you kind of screw up because you're so worried about coming in with exactly. lines memorized. Exactly. It doesn't Just help read you. the line. I understand yeah. you're reading it off a script. Right. Uh, you, you, I you, understand. Yeah. Yeah. You may have to look down. Right. First, whatever. Exactly. Uh, you know, try to stay alive, but you may, you may have to look down. So oftentimes they'll botch up the script. And yeah. they'll screw up the jokes. Right. They'll and ruin you'll go, the jokes. I, I want to hear it. This yeah. is what I want to hear. hear. Yeah. And, and so, and uh, well, that's a whole nother issue because you also don't know uh, sometimes going into a room, which, which writers, you know, don't mind if you like, uh, you know, s- make stuff up, but other people are, you know, need to know that, that, that you can, accomplish their writing and they, they're not a game for you to like, just go off on your own. Right. It's not and a blueprint. It's not a blueprint. Right. It's, yeah. it's an actual script. So that gets complicated. And, and, um, you know, honestly, I, I, you know, you get a little confidence as you go along, but I, I always felt that my mood is very dependent on who's standing in front of me at either the camera or in sitting in a chair looking at me. Uh, you know, it, it's like a Rorschach test for crazy people. I basically, an audition is a Rorschach test for the actors, the insane people who are willing to humiliate themselves. And sometimes the Rorschach test, I can interpret it. And sometimes <laughs> I miss. I guess that's kind of how I feel about it. Well, Chip, this has been great. I could talk to you forever. Uh, thank you so much for the great work that you did on Almost Perfect. And I miss your character... Show. <laughs> I I write that character in so many different plays and movies and shows. It's like I'm always hearing you in in my head. It's it's my favorite <laughs> character to write. It's you. You know, and the truth is, I've never had anything more fun, and I can't believe we didn't get many more years out of it. I, I agree. I, well, let's move this. It's one of the top. Uh, I, I just think like. Darn it. How did that happen? Yeah. Go on YouTube, by the way, and look up Almost Perfect Nancy Travis. We have a bunch of episodes up there. So if you want to watch Almost Perfect, you can do it. I forget like what sometimes what we what we did. I mean, there's an there's an episode where I'm like crawling around on the floor on my knees yelling at Matt Lesher Mm -hmm. and uh, having a fit. And that's uh, called Sweets for the Sweet. If you want (laughs) to look that up. Yeah. There's stuff, and like I, I should also just say that that you asked me at one point during the run of this show, like who would I like to meet or act with, and I said Don, uh, uh, Marie Osmond. Uh huh. My choice was Marie Osmond. Right, and we got her. Wanted, I always wanted to be Donna. Be, you know, I wanted to be on this show, and uh, and 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 you guys got her, and I got to. It was so much fun. That you know, it just we were having the time of our lives. Ah, network executives, you know, what can you do? Exactly. Thanks, Chip. Love you, man. It was great.
Great to see you in person. Great to talk to you. And there you go. My two-part interview with actor, singer, Howard the Duck voice, Chip Zion. As always, thanks to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler to Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce and Jason Miller. I am available via email if you wish to reach out and talk to me. HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com is my email address. That again is HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I can't believe you're not following me already. At Ken Levine. Also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. And our thanks again to Chip Zion. Back with another interesting interview next week. Thanks so much for listening and get vaccinated when you can. Bye. Hollywood and the Vine.